Well, let's go ahead and jump into our passage this morning. You know, Jesus is in the business of making and unmaking things, showing us what to look for and how we should see. And we need to learn how to look and where to look if we aren't going to panic in the process. Because panic is what's invited right now. Panic, despair, addictions, violence, all those things are stirred up when there is significant disruption. Jesus knew this. Jesus taught his disciples, and he's teaching us where to look. So far in Mark, we've seen Jesus display the nature and character of God, come in flesh to show people who God was, what God was like, or what God is like. And at this juncture, when we get to this text, we're in the last few days of Jesus' life. So the words take on even a greater importance, if possible, than they would have before. And as that importance his words continues to grow, so does the opposition. And the people are galvanized now, the leaders, the ones in power, to do away with Jesus at all cost. Well, let's look at our text. We're reading from Mark 13, verses 1 through 8. I'm using the NET version. There's a link there in the learning guide if you want to do that or if you have your own Bible. It says, now Jesus was going to the temple courts. One of his disciples said to him, teacher, look at these tremendous stones and buildings, referring to the temple. Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left on another. All will be torn down. So he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that all these things are about to take place? Jesus began to say to them, watch out that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will mislead men. When you hear of wars and rumors of war, do not be alarmed. These things must happen, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise up against nation in arms, and kingdom against kingdoms. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. But these are just the beginning of the birth pains. Well, in understanding this first, let's let's start with the temple. You see, for centuries now, the temple had been the center of where the Jewish people went to encounter God, to experience God. It was symbolic and center to their worship, their identity as the people of God, as Israel. But Jesus is clearly using the temple meaning and purpose as a description of himself. So when he, when he says the temple is going to be destroyed, he's talking, yes, it is going to be destroyed physically. Four years from then, when he spoke this, the temple was destroyed. But he's also speaking of a his own body. In John, he talks about how this temple will be destroyed and three days later be rebuilt. Clearly, he's talking about the destruction of the crucifixion, the rebuilding of the resurrection. He is replacing the physical temple with himself at that time. But he is also replacing the temple with something after he ascends into heaven. And that's with us, 
God's people, those who follow Jesus, who claim Jesus, who to live and be find our being in Jesus. We become the temple when we gather. Paul talks about our, our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit, but that was a collective form. We and we gather, we become what the and serve the purposes of what the temp, the physical temple did. In the passages leading straight up to this, Jesus deals with what worship should really be. And it's not just old versus new, but it's also a dramatic change in the way we should see things, what we should look for. Last week, Darcy made a fantastic comment about when true worship of Jesus happens, the kingdom is present and the temple building becomes unnecessary. And that's true. And it's still true today for us. Although a nice church building, 2828, or a cathedral or a chapel can facilitate worship, it's not a temple. That is not a place where we go to meet God because God lives there. It is just a building that accommodates our meeting and God is there because we are there with that. Friends, we don't need, nor should we look for or long for, other than the one created when two or more of us are gathered. Make no mistake, God the Holy Spirit is quite capable of recognizing this gathering right now as sufficient. That doesn't mean we should forsake gathering in person whenever possible, when this social distancing ends. But just know that God is bigger than any single circumstance. Gabe Martin remarked this week as we prepared that as people, we don't often change until something catastrophic happens. Now, that's not to say that God causes pandemics and tragedies, but it means that God is more than capable of redeeming them, turning them from annihilation into something new. And let's face it, sometimes this is the only way things happen. Sometimes the only way we really change, sometimes the way we, the only way we get our focus redirected is when things are shaken and shaken beyond our control. Jesus has always been using things like this to draw us to return to God, to our true selves, to each other. Not as a sign of the end of times, but as a sign of the changing times. Changing us away from meeting and trusting in cathedrals and buildings, to trusting into the Holy Spirit and each other. He is clearly instructing his disciples here to see this, to understand and embrace what we encounter in hope, not in fear, not in panic, hope in the redemptive work of God, the relentless redemptive work of God, that, that work going on. And this allows us not to panic. It allows us not to despair. This upheaval is all over the scale for us. Some of us, it it genuinely is a good thing. More time at home, more time with the family, more time to do things around the house. Uh, that's a privileged position, y'all. Most people, this is not anywhere near something welcome. It's meant a radical loss of income, loss of, loss of security. So many people have, do not have a safe place to shelter. They're cramped, they're crowded, they're threatened. 
they can shelter at all. Many people can't do that. They have to continually daily put themselves in harm's way, serving others, working jobs that they're required to work, they don't have a choice to work. Some doing it sacrificially, selflessly, others forcibly. But no matter what our circumstances, we do not have to panic. We do not have to despair. When we see Jesus' redemptive work teaching us where to look. Ryan Jackson commented this week that we're all trying to maintain our worldview at all costs because if the world doesn't exist as we imagined, not only do we have to admit we're wrong, but we have to change. This is one of the reasons we try so much to control others, control our circumstances, why we become so violent when we're threatened, when those are threatened. Because if they affirm, if others affirm my worldview, if my circumstances affirm that, I don't have to change. Well, friends, these changes are now becoming unavoidable. There are signs everywhere. Temptations and demands to look at them and to panic or despair. Jesus offers us the only alternative that gives hope. The only alternative that is true and trustworthy. And so what I want to ask you this week, you'll see the questions there in the learning guide to take time and get quiet. That can be hard. That can be difficult in these times, I know. But it's a practice that we need to develop. And where are your eyes fixed right now? What are you really hoping for right now? What is it you want to see resurrected? Is it the right thing? Are you longing for what really matters? We're going to talk a lot about resurrection next week. What is it you're hoping that will be resurrected? And then get together with your group. Connect with them. Talk. Text, message, however it is. Grab a lawn chair and sit six feet or further apart. But talk about these things. What are you longing for this week?